Well, I've heard that that song, some people either like it or don't. Um, I like the words. That's actually what people sometimes complain about. It just says the same thing over and over. But really, if you listen to the first verse, it says some pretty amazing things. Like, we should live out our light for Christ. So I don't think uh, it's, it's wrong to challenge us to do that, right? Live your life for Christ in a way that shines bright for other people to see it. I also heard uh, something interesting this morning. Uh, people saw this shirt that I'm wearing, and uh, people were like, did someone else pick that out for you? Did your, did your kids you know, get that for you or something along those lines? So I guess because it's not flannel, it must be, uh, must be somebody else that picked it out for me. But there you go. Uh, yeah, my, my wife and my kids do dress me from time to time, and it's a good thing. We're going to talk about our light shining bright. And it fits with our passage. Hopefully the passage is what's really driving this as we continue our study through Philippians. And as you've looked at it, I hope that you've seen over and over again that Paul is encouraging the people in Philippi to have joy. And there's a lot of different ways that we can try to have joy as we go through this life. But the way that Paul describes it really helps us as we see that if we focus on what God wants us to focus on, we'll have joy. But really, the opposite is true, that if we focus on what the world wants us to focus on, we most likely will not have much joy. Now, we may have joy for a little bit of time. We may have temporary joy. But if we focus on what Christ wants us to focus on and what Scripture tells us to focus on, what God's Word says we should focus on, I think we'll have more of an eternal joy, a longer-lasting joy, which ultimately is what we want, Right? So that's what we're going to be taking a look at as we look at God's Word this morning. We're going to be starting in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. As we do, let's go ahead and pray before we get into His Word. Father, we come to You today because we need You. We're already saying that, Lord, I need You. I need You to help me understand what Your Word has to say. I need You to understand this life that we live in. So we ask You today... Father, by your grace and your mercy, help us to clearly understand what it is you want to do with this mess of a life that I have. Lord, I I know that it's not perfect, it's not good, but it's the best that I have, and so I bring it to you. And Father, I ask that you will receive this time of song, the time of prayer, the time where we open your word together, you will receive it as worship. We are trying to do what it is that you desire of us. And we fail, but we thank you that you are great, you are merciful, you are kind, you are gentle, you are gracious, and you forgive us, and you help us move on. We want to leave today knowing you all the more and being filled with the kind of joy that your word talks about because we get to see you at work. Far more impressive than whatever this world has to offer is what your son Jesus Christ has done for us. And so we worship you because of that. We come to you seeking for your guidance and your help. May your words come out today, not mine, may yours. And may we understand wholeheartedly what it is you're communicating to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here's the passage. Therefore, 
My dear friends, just as you, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to his good purpose. So do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in the crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world. By holding firm to the word of life, then I can boast, this is Paul talking, then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing, but even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you in the same way you should also be glad and rejoice with me. And so we're going to focus in on that one phrase, to shine as lights in this world, in this universe, but to get there, there's a lot of other things to talk about. And that's what we're going to spend some time on, and we're going to get to this point of light shining bright. Now, I'm sure if you've seen the news lately, been on, I don't know, Facebook, some kind of social media, you've seen somewhere along the way uh, that recently some football players or soccer players in Thailand were in a cave, trapped there for 17 days. And really up till the time they were rescued, they were gone for, for several days, I think basically two weeks, without any kind of contact with anybody. People didn't know where they were. And, and so finally they, they found them, they located them, and Navy SEALs went in there. They, they had to go and dive through some channels and get to them. And they finally found them, and they found them in, in a state where, of course, they're getting weaker and they need food, but they had already had some food because they went in there to celebrate a kid's birthday and had some, some party food with them. You know, junk food, I guess. They were younger boys. But I don't know if you picked up on all the story. I was just reading through some of it and, and some of the things that they found. And some, you know, articles reported certain things. But one of the things I found interesting is that the coach, who was 22 years old, he's actually, a, I guess he had gone and studied to be a Buddhist monk and had practiced how to keep yourself, you know, calm and how to keep yourself from using a lot of energy. He put some of those things into practice for these kids. But one of the things that he did was he refused to eat any food while, he, while they were back there and instead give the, the food to the kids. So by the time they, they actually got him, and he was the last one to be rescued and pulled out of the cave, when they pulled him out, he was very weak. And, of course, the story, you know, hits, hits our country, hits the world, and, and people are like, wow, that's, that's really impressive, right? That a guy would do that, a 22-year-old would say, hey, I'm going to go ahead and, and sacrifice Myself, I'm going to go ahead and, and, and cut back on what I eat so you can eat it. And I think we, we sometimes, that resonates with us. We like those stories because, honestly, so many of us are looking for just a little bit of light in this dark world. Aren't we? It seems like all we hear about in the news, all we hear about around us are all the problems that are going on and, and the bad things. And, and we get discouraged and we think, man, this world is so screwed up. And then we hear a story like that and we go, oh, look, there's a little bit of hope. Somebody out there is doing something that's good. That resonates with us. Well, let's go back 2,000 years ago. What happened? A guy by the name of Jesus came to this earth and did the ultimate sacrifice, which is die upon a cross. The God of the universe comes to, to the earth to be man, both God and man. He goes to the cross and he sacrifices himself a painful death for our sins. 
Because that's the greatest light that shines in the universe of all time. And it's the greatest hope for anybody. And so Paul challenges the people in Philippi to take that light that they've received, that good news of Jesus Christ that they've received, and live it out so that people around can see it too. And that's the point he makes in this passage and why I think it's so important for us to read through this and understand that God wants to do something with you. And it's not to help prepare you to go shine your own light. It's to help you shine the light of Christ. And i got to tell you, that's the message I need to hear all the time. It's not about Ryan. It's not about my light. It's not about me making an impact on this world. It's about me helping Christ or me letting Christ use me to make an impact for him. That's what I need to be working on. And that's what this passage challenges us to do. So we're going to take a look at that. Here's here's how you can summarize it in one sentence, one statement. A life of joy. We're going to talk about joy. And a life of obedience to Christ, to Jesus, makes an everlasting impact on the people around you. I'm sure if I said, okay, everybody raise their hands if you want to make an impact on the people around you, you all be like, yeah, of course I want to make an impact, you know. That's what we all share in common. Of course we want to. How do we do that? And I think this passage helps us do that well if we go out and practice joy and obedience to Christ. So let's go ahead and and move through it. Philippians chapter 2, starting with verse 12, starts off with the word, therefore. Maybe you've heard this uh, saying somewhere along the way. When you see the word therefore, you need to ask the question, what's it? Therefore. See, some of you know that. Good job. Okay, you ask the question, what's it there for? Therefore, it's, it's going back to the previous section, the previous verses. And uh, Luke had, had mentioned this last week. This was his summary statement. When we're all working together to match the mind of Christ, joy is at its peak. If you take verses 1 through 11, Paul starts off and he says, make my joy complete by being like Christ and working together. Right? And so if you're doing that and if you're being like Christ and you have the attitude of Christ... Well, then let's go back to this. Dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence. In other words, if you're living out that life of integrity, if you are practicing your faith, not only on Sunday morning, but Monday morning, Monday night, if, if you live out your faith the same way you live it out on Sunday as you do in front of your family, if you live out your faith the same way you do it in front of life group as you do in front of your coworkers, That's what we ought to be practicing, right? It should be the same all the way across. That's what he says here. He says, friends, obey Christ, live out your life for Christ in my presence or not in my presence, whatever you do. Here's what you need to also work on. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, a question may come up in your mind. I thought when we go to church, we hear about how we're not supposed to be saved by works. We're supposed to be saved by faith. We're saved by grace. In fact, if you go to Ephesians chapter 2, that's what it says, right? Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not from works, so that no one can boast. We're not supposed to be patting our back like, hey, look at what I've done. So how do you get to a passage to Philippians chapter 2 where it says we're to work out our salvation? Doesn't that contradict? Oh, look, the Bible. Some will say that. Look, the Bible contradicts itself. So how do you harmonize these two ideas? Work out your salvation, but also know that you're not saved by works, you're saved by grace. And I think this is what we need to understand. This is where we need to focus our attention, that there are three pieces to salvation. 
We don't often talk about that. We just talk about being saved. And that's the first part, justification, that we've been saved from the penalty of sin. Okay, so you can remember this, justification, sanctification, and glorification, those three parts. And justification is like the first time you receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, you say, yes, I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose from the dead. Then you are justified. In other words, if you were to stand before God the Father today, God the Father would look at you and say, okay, you are not guilty of sin because Jesus Christ has declared you righteous. Okay, that's justification. That means we have been saved from the penalty of sin. We are not going behind bars. We are not paying the price for our sin because Jesus Christ has already done it for us. We are not having to spend eternity in hell because Jesus Christ has already paid that price for us. Okay? That's the first step. Now, the second step is sanctification, which is, you know, you and I being saved from the power of sin. We live in this world. We have a sinful flesh. We have sin around us. We have uh, Satan and his demons, and and they have, uh, you know, some influence in this world. And so there's sin around us, and we've got to overcome it. 1 John chapter 2 talks about young men and how they are overcoming the evil one. It's a a uh, process, and that's that sanctification. So we're overcoming the power of sin. And that's what Paul's talking about here when he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In that process of overcoming the power of sin, and then one day, and this will be the awesome day, when we are glorified. And that's either going to be when Christ returns and we see him and meet him in the air, or that's going to be the day when we die and we go to heaven. And that's when there's no more sin around us at all. People often ask the question, what do you think heaven's like? I don't know what heaven is like except this, that sin is not present. And when sin is not present, it is going to be awesome. More than we can even fathom or understand. It's just going to be awesome. So that's what we have to look forward to. It's not here yet. We're in the sanctification process. And Paul talks about working out your salvation with fear and trembling. He's saying, listen, you need to try to overcome the power of sin. That's what he's doing. And he uses a couple words in there when he says fear and trembling. That's exactly what he means. It's not saying, oh, this watered down a little bit with the word respect or something like that. He's saying, no, do it with fear and trembling. Like, here's God, and God is the judge, and when we get out of line, God says, guess what? I have a little bit of discipline for you. In fact, the Bible tells us God disciplines those he loves. Anybody want to be loved by God? Not when you put it in that context, right? (laughs) Yeah, we want to be loved by God. Well, we got to understand that when God loves us, he's also going to discipline us. So we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that if we get out of line a little bit, God may need to correct us. I have the most respect and love for my father. I thought he did a great job raising me as a kid, a crazy kid, and, and he helped guide and direct me. But let me tell you, there were times where I had a healthy, I say that, a healthy fear of my dad. My dad never mistreated me, never you know, I'm sure there were times I made him angry and he probably spanked me out of anger. I get all that. But, but you know what? He, I had a healthy fear of him because I know he loved me and loves me to this day. And still I respect him, his opinion, and his love for me. And that is the kind of fear that we have. And, and my fear today isn't that my dad's going to, you know, come down to church and spank me or anything like that. My fear today is that I would disappoint him. Right? My fear today is that I would bring some sort of dishonor to him. And, and I want to capture that fear and live it out 
for God. I don't want to disappoint God. I don't want to upset God. And I certainly don't want to be disciplined by God. And so that's that concept of working out your, your salvation with fear and trembling. Well, Philippians 2.13 goes on and says, For it is God who works in you. So now you bring in the other piece to it, right? We are, we are working out our salvation, and God is working in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Ephesians 2.10 says it this way, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are working out that salvation. We are seeing what God has prepared for us to do. We are living it out. And as we do, God also works in us. So it's this relationship. But there is a situation we can get ourselves into, and that is grieving the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now you may ask the question, how do you grieve the Holy Spirit? So here's the, the illustration I want to show you. I've got two types of clay up here. Now, as a kid, maybe you, maybe you got to play with, with Play-Doh. And you love, I love, even to this day, kind of love, you know, bringing out the Play-Doh and just kind of squeezing it. You feel it go through your hands. See, some of you right now are like, I wish I had some Play-Doh, right? You, you, you got you it in your hands and you can mold it and you can do all kinds of things. I mean, it's one of those, those fun things to do. But have you ever gone and, and gotten, the, gotten out of the jar and found this? It's cracked, it's hard, it's, it's hard to squeeze, it's hard to... This one's still, it's not quite dry enough. I was hoping to get a little drier, but... Uh, it, so it's still a little smushy, but you can tell it's cracked. It's not the kind of Play-Doh you want to play with. This is nice. This, not so nice. The point is this. We can, in our lives, in our spiritual lives, become like this type of clay in God's hands. Where we are hard, we're stubborn where we fight God, and we say, God, you want to do something with me, but I don't want to do it. And that grieves the Holy Spirit. This kind of clay, where we are moldable, where we are pliable, where God can take and fashion us and make us into the image of his own son, that's the kind of clay that we're supposed to be in God's hands, not this. So my challenge to myself, my challenge to you, is to let's not grieve the Holy Spirit. Let's not be some hard clay in God's hands. Let's be pliable. Let's be moldable. Let's be, let's be made into the image of his son. Let's let God do the work in us that he wants to do. And that means that we have to give up ourselves and let God take control. That's probably the hardest part of being a Christian, right? we got this life and we like the way we, we live it and we like what we want and we don't want to give it over to God. But when we fight God, we grieve the Holy Spirit. So we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We need to let God work in us. Jesus uses those who stay pliable. I think that's the point you can draw from those couple of verses. Jesus uses those who stay pliable. And if you're not pliable, chances are... God may be trying to rock your boat a little bit. If you're a follower of Christ and you say, yes, I follow Jesus Christ. He is the one who has saved me from my sins and you are a child of God, but you're not following him and you're fighting against him, chances are your boat will be rocked. Discipline will come your way because God disciplines those he loves. This is a simple fact stated in Scripture. Well, let's keep moving forward. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. 
He goes on, the imperative, the command that's found in this passage is this, do everything without grumbling and arguing. And really, then you can jump to, so that you can shine like stars in the world. He says a few things in between, but here's the concept, here's the idea. It's almost like a step process. Do everything without grumbling or murmuring or kind of, get in that situation where, where you start to, to get irritated and you start to say things under your breath. You know, when you start murmuring, you start grumbling about your coworker, about your neighbor, about the person you're married with, about your kids, about the people at church, about the parking situation at church, or whatever it is. You know, you start to to grumble and complain. Well, then it moves on to that idea of, of arguing. That it gets so bad that, that you kind of let it fester and it grows. And then you, you begin to speak it louder with people around you when people ask you, so how's your morning going? And you're like, man, every time I get here, somebody's parked in my spot. And of course, I'm you know, making, hopefully making light of a not-so-serious situation. But, but you understand that that happens, right? We let it grow. And it festers. And our murmuring... Our grumbling turns into arguing and fighting and bickering and becoming bitter and those types of things. It says, do everything without grumbling and arguing. Stop it. As soon as you begin to sense yourself getting to that point where you are complaining, stop. Stop it there. That's the easiest place to stop it. Don't let it fester. Don't let it grow. Don't let the bitterness take hold. And here's why. How many of you like to hang out with a person who's always complaining and arguing? That's a pretty dim light, isn't it? If you want to be a light for Christ, we should not be arguing and complaining about this life that we have. We should be seeing it for what God is doing and, and see the work He's done in our lives and see the work He's doing around us and be excited and rejoice and have joy of the work that God's doing around us instead of complaining about the little things that oftentimes get us down. When I first moved up to, to Seattle and lived there for a little while, uh, there was a hundred straight days of rain. And I grew up in, in right here in Idaho, right? I moved up there and I went from no rain like, what, an inch a year, it seems like, to constant rain for 100 straight days. It was gray all the time. And, and, and even the people who were locals were starting to complain and grumble. And I don't know if you've done any kind of research kind of along the whole West Coast, especially up in the, the Seattle and Portland area. The, the rates of depression are really high, especially when it comes to March time. Because they've kind of gone through that whole winter season. It's been gray, and, and people start to get to that, that time where it's like, oh, it's just, just hard to live here, you know, type of a thing. People don't want to be around other people that are just grumbling and complaining all the, all the time. And it begins to, to feed on each other. And then, you know, June hits, and the sun comes out. And that's one of the beautiful things. If you've ever lived in that area, you're like, wow. Okay, it was, it was worth waiting for. Because it's just incredible how beautiful it is. The sun comes out, and there's green everywhere, and it's, it's awesome. But you have to get there. 
And sometimes the grumbling and the complaining starts to wear on people. Well, that's the same thing it is. If you're doing that in your spiritual life, if the church is doing that, if you're coming on a Sunday morning, I guarantee you this. If people come here on a Sunday morning and they hear a bunch of grumbling and complaining, they're not going to stick around very long. Because who wants to come to a church where everybody's complaining about their relationships, about their work, about their relationship with God even? We come here because we want to encourage each other. We come here because we want to pray for each other. We want to build each other up and those types of things. That's what we need to be doing. Yeah, it's okay to come and share, hey, I've had a difficult week, but then let's pray for each other. In fact, that's a great practice right there. Instead of saying, hey, I'll pray for you this week, say, let's pray right now. Take that person and pray for them right then and there. And then follow up with that person throughout the week. That's even a greater impact on that person's life. It doesn't take long. A quick text, hey, been praying for you this week. How's it going? That's encouraging the body of Christ together. And then people are like, wow, I'm part of a church that cares? I didn't know that happened, right? But it does. We should be. We should be a family that cares for each other, shining like stars. So as you go through this verse, now let's get, I know I spent probably a long too, little bit too much time there. So um, don't grumble complain. So you may be now blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation. It's all around us. There's darkness all around us. How bright will you shine if you are the one who is positive about what God is doing in your life and in the world around you? You will shine bright. Now, you might be annoying for some people. I get that. I know people don't want to hear about what God's doing in your life. But you know what? It's exciting to hear and see what Christ is doing in your life and the lives around you. And we will shine brightly if we give testimony to that. Shine like stars in the world by holding, and here's how he tells us how to do it. We have to do it by holding firm to the word of life. So he doesn't just say shine like stars without grumbling or complaining. He tells us actually how this happens, and that's holding firmly to the word of life. Now, if you're like, well, how do you know what the word of life is? What are you talking about? Here's how you know. A couple of the passages which helps us direct our attention there. First, or excuse me, John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Okay, well, still, who's the word? You go to verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Who's the word? The word is Christ. And he came and he lived out and he spoke the truth. Many recorded it. We have it in the New Testament. We also have the Old Testament, which talks about Christ and and how Christ is coming, the Messiah is coming. It all points to him and what he gave us. So we hold firm to that word. We hold firm to Christ. We we get into God's word. We we learn from it. We, We read it. We share it with each other. We encourage each other with it. We get into small groups and life groups. We get into discipleship groups. We get into one-on-one Bible studies. Whatever we can do to take this word and get it into our lives more. That's how we overcome grumbling and complaining. That's how we shine like stars. If this word just sits on our shelves and it collects dust, it's not going to have much impact in our lives. If the only input you have is on a Sunday morning, it's going to have some impact but not nearly as much as if you're in it every day. And you can be in it every day, and you can, you can uh, be here on Sunday morning, and that's great, and you'll continue to grow. But you even have more of an impact when you get with another person and start working through 
God's Word together with other people as well. That's why we have the body of Christ. That's why we get together and study His Word. So there are several ways that we can take this Word and we can put it into our lives, and when we do that, it helps us. A life of contentment will make a big impact on the people around you. It's plain and simple. I think that's the concept we get from this, the point that we get from these couple of verses. Well, let's look at the last few verses. Paul says, then, if you do all of this, so if you put the mind of Christ on, if you're, you're, you're pursuing humility like in Christ, okay, if, if, you're, uh, if you're not grumbling or you're not complaining, if you're, if you're moldable in God's hands, then Paul says, oh, I did this for a reason. I, I rejoice in that. I can boast in the day of Christ. When I see Christ, I can say, look what I, I was able to accomplish. Not that he himself did something awesome, but Christ did something through Paul. And he can say, look, I wrote these letters. I went and spent time with the church, and, and I encouraged people. And as they grew in their faith, they became more like you. I didn't run or labor for, for nothing. Even if I am poured out, this is Paul continuing on, even if I am poured out as a drink offering, another way of saying, even if I have great sacrifice, okay, I die. Even if I die on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. And I think Paul's bringing full circle here to verses 1 and 2 of the chapter. He says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way. He's saying, hey, guys, listen, I'm out there pursuing Christ, and as I pursue Christ, yeah, I got arrested, yeah, I'm sitting in Rome, yeah, I'm in prison, yeah, I'm probably going to die, but I want to know that you're growing in your faith, and if you're growing in your faith, it's all worth it. People will be going, what? That's crazy, Paul. Paul says, no, it's worth it. I don't care if I die. What I care about is that you're growing in your faith. Make my joy complete by knowing you're becoming more like Christ. Joy comes from seeing Jesus' work. Joy is found in, in impact, not trial. If your life is making an impact on the people around you, maybe you're having struggles, maybe it's hard, maybe it's difficult, but if your life is making an impact on other people around you, take joy in that. Take joy in what God's doing. He's using you. It may not be fun. I understand that. There are times when it may be painful. There are times you may throw up your hands. You say, God, I don't understand what you're doing in my life. It doesn't make sense at all, but I'm going to continue to pursue you. I'm going to continue to try to do this without grumbling and complaining. And God will use you where he uses you. And then look for opportunities. Look for where God is working. Look for where Jesus Christ is working. Joy comes from seeing what Christ is doing around you. And a Jesus impact is always worth rejoicing over. It's always worth rejoicing over. Anytime Christ is impacting somebody. So probably the greatest joy I have every week is getting to hear people's stories, testimonies. So I've got a couple uh, different, you know, small groups I meet with, and I get to hear and see, you know, throughout the, the week what God's doing in people's lives. That's, that's exciting. That's, that's the joy I get as a pastor. 
on a Sunday morning when you guys come and you share, and people pull me aside and say, hey, this is what's going on in my life. Here's the thing that's really discouraging. Please pray for this. But here's the thing that's really exciting. It's like, wow, look at what God's doing. Sometimes I can see it. I have a hard time saying it, so oftentimes I refrain from it. But you can see God working in somebody's life, and it can be really discouraging and hard in a person's life. I, I try not to say, well, you know, God's, God's doing something for you right there. I'm sorry it's painful for you, but it's okay. And that, that's often not always the best thing to say at the time, but you can see it. You can see God working and bringing people to himself. And that's a joy. Because it means God loves you. I know we talk a lot in the church about how Jesus loves you, died on the cross for you, and we get these you know, nice warm feelings inside like, oh, that's so awesome, that's so great. But let me tell you something. There are times we go through difficulties. There are times where God disciplines us, and it's not fun, and it's not warm and fuzzy, and it doesn't feel good all the time. But God loves you, and that's the reason he's disciplining you. We can rejoice in that even. And there are times in my life where God's had to rock my boat, where God's had to discipline me and do things that I didn't want him to do. But it's in times like that I grew closer to him. And it's times like that I think over time God grew me in wisdom and understanding so I can be a better light and make a better impact on people. I want to have joy from seeing the work that Jesus is doing around me. A life of joy and obedience to Jesus makes an everlasting impact on the people around you. That's what Paul is communicating to the people of Philippi here. So be willing to be molded and made into the image of Christ. Be pliable. Let him do his work. Don't harden your hearts. Don't become stubborn. Don't fight God. Let him use you. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for your word and your reminder and the truth that we have in Scripture that you are working in us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. You never walk away. You continue to pursue us. You continue to to care for us. You continue to remind us of yourself. But Lord, I know there are times when you even have to discipline us. But you've told us you discipline those you love. And we know that that is an act of love as well. So whether it's it's a, a day where we... <laughs> We can see all the work around us and and it's joyful and it's exciting and we can rejoice and be happy over it. Or whether it's a day where there may be difficulty and turmoil and trials that are coming our way. Lord, we rejoice in that too, knowing that you are somehow shaping and molding us to be more like your son. And that somehow down the road, we will be able to take that heartache, that pain, that trial and use it in a way that honors you. And Father, as your word tells us here, help us to do all things without grumbling or arguing. We want to be marked as people who are joyful and rejoicing in the work of Christ. We do not want to be remembered as people who are whiners and complainers and grumblers and argumentative. May we honor you with this life you've given us. And may we shine your light and not our own. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.